Let us turn to Genesis 3, 9 to 10. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. To there, and then let's go to 2 Peter 3, 7 to 10. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Amen. God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. God is omnipresent. Omni means all, so uh, all present. Uh, Jeremiah twenty three twenty four says, Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not, do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. So God being omnipresent means there's no place or time where he is not. He is everywhere at all times. Do you believe that? Psalm 139 verse 6 says, if I go up to the mountains, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. Amos 9, 2 to 4 says, though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from my eyes at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. I will keep my eye on them. Wow, that's, that's scary. If he is chasing after me. After me or anyone, there's no place to hide. No, no time that I, I can hide from him because his eyes always see. Psalm eleven four says, he observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. For he sees all, always. There is nothing that can hide from him. There is nothing that is covered for him. Everything uh, is uncovered before his all-knowing eyes. Do you believe that about God? If you believe that God is almighty, you need to believe that he is all present. And that means there's nothing that can hide uh, from his eyes. So faith means to know that I'm always before his eyes. Isaiah 38 verse 3 says, we are always before his eyes. We are before his sight. And therefore, acknowledging that he sees me, I need to come forward and say, here I am. What do we say? What do we say again? It's to reveal my location. As the title goes, my location now. My location. You can Google that. My location now. And then if you say allow, allow location, then it will say, you are here in 30 Glen Avenue, Paramus, New Jersey, 07652. So it, it will tell you exactly where you are, but you have to first say where you are. And then it, through the satellites and all the, uh, all the technologies, um, your location will be identified. So I need to come forward to his all-knowing eyes and reveal, and therefore my faith life is, if you recall from past two weeks, the purpose of this life, my life, is eternal life. And to get there, I need to make a mark. I need to make a goal 
and press on to make that, attain that goal. And that is the resurrection to life. So if I have made uh, eternal life to be the purpose of my life and the resurrection to life to be the goal of my life, then my faith life, in order for me to be saved from this burning universe called hell, a place to become hell, I need to keep on racing toward a new heaven and a new earth. What kind of heaven? What kind of earth? A new earth. And that is not part of this world, but that is outside. That's why I set us up. That's why I warmed us up. What do we say? From here to? From earth to? Heaven. Amen. So understanding the goal of my life now and the, the purpose of my life and the goal of my life, and I need to then know, okay, I know where I have to go, what I have to attain, then where am I is the next question I should be asking. So where am I? So that's the title of the sermon today, my location now, my current address, where am I? Um, certainly, as I mentioned, um, there are many ways to uh, find out where we are when you get lost. And back in the day, you actually literally had to open up a map, pull over the road and open up a map, figure out where you are first, and then, then figure out where you're going. When you go to the mall or at the airport or something, it tells you you're here. Right. So from your perspective, you're like, okay, the store I want to go to is level two and then it's left and right. So that's how you figure out. But the quicker way is now Google Maps. So uh, one of the things that I noticed is in New York City, I mean, it's like in the city, it's so hot, easy to maneuver because everything is grid, right? So it's north and south and east and west. So avenues go north and south and then streets um, from, uh, from east, west. Uh, but you see a bunch of people looking at the phone. I'm talking about you, young people. All right, so they're looking at the phone to go like, okay, MMC, I got to go 6th Avenue and turn 3030. That's how they go. So I'm just like, oh God, how sad. It's like, they have no idea. Without the phone, they'll be totally lost. Is this you? Yeah, I see a lot of people here smiling. They're like, that's me. So um, you go wherever Google tells you to go. Uh, so Google, um, obviously it's part of this uh, um, global positioning system, which was originally developed for the military, uh, but now um, civilians everywhere around the world um, use such system. And it's not just for phone, um, but it's for, uh, be, you know, drones as well, right? It's the unmanned uh, aircraft. So the military or militaries around the world use uh, drones and missiles uh, depending on uh, the sort of GPS, and right now, at the end of, or as of the end of 2023, there are so many satellites in orbit, uh, uh, you know, orbiting the Earth. There are, you could, maybe you can guess, there are 25,000 satellites. Satellites are not small, they're huge, but they've uh, been brought out there. So, you know, when you look out the sky, you don't only see stars as in, like real planets, but sometimes you see like those really artificially super bright things in the sky. Those are satellites. So now you can't even tell which is, star, which is a star and which is a satellite. There's just so many, 25,000 orbiting. Uh, what do they do? They are for communication. Number one, we, we can use our t- cell phones because of um, the satellites uh, for navigation we use, but also for scientific um, research, like Earth ob- observations, uh, weather system, all of that is done by satellites. Um, and this is where you kind of like, oh, okay, U.S. is still leading something, and that's ha- having the most satellites in orbit. United States has 11,655 satellites up there. The next will be Russian at seven, around 7,000, and then next will be 
China. So China is 5,000. They, you know, they need the help for facial recognition for everybody. So anyhow, so all the satellite needs to be in place for monitoring. Um, but then the UK is about 700 something. But out of all the um, satellites, the private sector, owned by private sector, the, the biggest company, never mind uh, private or public, um, but the biggest company that owns, um, or the, the, uh, the company that owns the most satellites. Can you guess which company that might be? Did I hear? SpaceX, yeah, owned by Elon Musk, yes. So SpaceX owns the most, 48,000, 48,700 or so. Yeah, that's a lot. So he takes a good uh, real estate of the satellites uh, in orbit. And then next would be China, China Aerospace Science, uh, Science and Technology Corp at about 3,000. And then NASA after that. Wow. NASA is like th- number three. Uh, Elon Musk is number one. Um, so, it, you know, the, the space has become commercialized and has become privatized. Uh, talk about capitalism all the way to space. <laughs> um, and with the uh, invasion, Russian invasion in Ukraine, uh, uh, SpaceX slash Starlink, the satellite um, is owned by, again, Elon Musk, made the news quite a bit because, and even tonight, not as much in the news, but... Um, when the Russians invaded, they destroyed a lot of the infrastructure and the civilians uh, were lacking cell phone you know, um, signals. But not just civilians, but the military itself was seek, uh, losing signals. So, um, uh, so February was the invasion. And a um, few days after that, I think um, it was the, one, uh, the dep- uh, deputy um, minister, prime minister, a young guy, but he's a high-tech guy, he tweeted out to Elon Musk and said, we need your help, or something like that. You know, we need your help, we need Starlink here in Ukraine. And then and what made the news is Elon Musk actually answered that and said, uh, so can you, you know, let us have Starlink system in Ukraine because we need help. And then he basically said, Starlink service is now active in Ukraine. More terminals en route. So it's like, okay. And literally two days later, trucks filled with, um, the terminals arrived in Ukraine, like where they were being bombed. This, this is an active war situation. And I remember looking and going like, how do they make it from the United States to like Ukraine? Then the behind story is Starlink was actually in Ukraine a month and a half before that, tried to make deals with the country to set up their system. Then the war happened. And then, and, you know, I think they were some system, uh, you know, uh, available in stock but anyhow elon musk said deliver and then the guy said thanks or something like that so like this isn't wartime but everything is done through twitter and then and then you could see the civilians like checking their phones with the little dishes you know um, the terminals and not only that uh, what has now become since then is that the ukrainian military has been using uh, starlink to locate the russians to uh, send drones and bomb them. So because of that, Elon Musk then is sort of like, you know, backpedaling. It's like, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with this. Like, I'm kind of part of supporting the war. But uh, with all huge, you know, funding going, U.S. funding going to, funds going to Ukraine, um, part of that, not, not all of it, but the proportion of that is now supporting Starlink, apparently. So the Department of Defense actually has approved and support um, Starlink to support the Ukrainians for humanitarian cause, but also military. So it's very interesting. Um, where we are today with the satellites available. So certainly it is convenient for us and makes our lives easy, but it is also giving our location, our privacy up 
in order for us to take advantage of that. So if you, you know you, you're Googling or searching, it says allow your location, and you have to you can click block or allow. Um, so for you to benefit um, from the technologies, whether you're using Waze or Google Map or whatever uh, GPS GPS you're using, you have to allow the system to see you so that you can be helped in time of need. So it goes both ways, and uh, people are questioning about that. You know, how much do we allow, and how much do we stop, because it's about invasion of privacy, and in the end, someone's going to have that. So this whole issue with SpaceX and Starlink and Elon Musk, one man literally has access to thousands of satellites. Can you imagine how much information, how much data is, uh, that he has at his fingertips, so, right? And he has some kind of condition as well. So anyhow, um, so if... He goes mad, then we're in trouble is what I'm trying to say. Um, But the question about my location is that I need to allow my location to be seen and be known, uh, and then I can be helped. The Bible shows us, um, shows us as all mankind um, to be ready to respond to God's question of where are you. Now, that sounds uh, contradictory because who is God? God is omnipresent. Nothing can hide before him. Nothing, there's nothing that he does not know. Yet, he asks the question, where are you? Meaning, he's waiting for men to come forward and respond to that question. And that's what we just read in Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is where our ancestor, the living being Adam, um, disobeyed the word of God and sinned by taking the forbidden fruit. And as a result of that Taking the fruit, he becomes afraid. Adam becomes afraid, Adam and Eve, and they hide uh, in the shrubs, um, forgetting that God can already see, not just when they're hiding, but God already saw them when they took the forbidden fruit. But still, when they're hiding, God calls, Adam, where are you? And why, then you should ask the question, why did he ask? What's the point of God asking? He already knows the answer. Why ask? Why ask? Give a chance for man to come forward, then receive his grace. So um, Adam being um, the living being, so it's not just a physical being we're talking about, physical man, but he is a spiritual being living in the flesh. Who is Adam? A spiritual being in the flesh. Once again, who is Adam? Spiritual being in the flesh. Another way calling that is a living being. That's right. So a living being, and he's the ancestor of all mankind. So right now, as I'm sitting here in the physical body, I may not sense the spirit inside, but we all come from Adam. Therefore, we not only inherited the flesh body, but also the spirit. So I have a spirit of Adam. I am Adam. I'm a living being. Say with me. I'm a living being. So our ancestor, living being, um, though he was supposed to live by the word of God, the moment he disobeyed, he became afraid and he hid. But we see God asking. And God blessed Adam for coming forward. If he stayed and went, then there, there's no hope. But he came forward. Even though he forgot God's omnipresence, his all-knowing eyes, and sin, after even, um, even at that point, thankfully, he realized he can't hide. So he came forward and said, uh, uh, here I am. And, and, and God said, why are you hiding? It's like, because we're na- naked. You know, I'm naked and I was afraid. And who told you you're naked? So the conversation opened as a result of him coming forward. And therefore, we see God opening the way as a foreshadow for all men to be then set free from the curse of sin later on. Now, the one that um, caused Adam to be uh, deceived and take the forbidden fruit was the serpent, the snake. 
The serpent, Revelation 12, verse 9, says it's actually Satan, the devil. And Satan is a fallen angel who rebelled against God in heaven. Let's go to Isaiah 14, 12 to 15. How you have fallen from heaven, a morning star, son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth, you who once lay low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the stars of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Pause there. So this is all about the fallen angel before he falls, which is that he was created beautifully and talented to worship God, to uh, to serve God, to glorify God. And this place where he was made to serve God was in heaven, the spiritual heaven outside the material heaven. So there are two types of heavens, right? So there's a spiritual heaven, which is outside the material heaven and the material heaven, we call it the universe, right? So this is where he was. But then because he was beautiful and talented, he became proud and he challenged the throne of God. He said, I'm going to be like my maker, the creator, the omnipresent God. God did not allow him to continue going, however, instead in verse 15, but you are brought down to the grave or to the realm of dead, to the depths of the pit. So the result of his pride, which is the origin of sin, was that he could no longer be in the spiritual heaven, godly environment. Instead, he was driven out, cacked. Uh, cast out, cast down into the depths of the pit. So the depths of the pit is where we're going to um, look at. So this is where the fallen angel, again, uh, the once archangel made as Luciel, becomes Lucifer. He's known as Satan. What is he known as? Satan, which is simply the enemy of God. And then when man is made, he is known as the devil. The devil is someone who separates um, God, uh, men from God, uh, putting a wedge between God and men. So this place, the depths of the pit, is uh, in Hebrew, uh, Sheol. The grave is known as Sheol. Sheol, and, and in Greek, is Hades, Hades, but in English, it's Hades. What do we say? Sheol, Hades, which is Hades. So where is Hades? Do you guys remember taking Greek mythology in school? Hades is the name of um, the god of un- uh, the underworld, right? So they, they have, uh, people have heard the word Hades, um, or even, you know, for Christians or theologians say, Hades is a place where people go after they die. So it's like somewhere out there, we don't know exactly where it is, but it's where people who have done wrong things and they're thrown in there. Um, but that's not what the Bible says. First of all, Hades is, um, as we read in Second uh, Peter 3, uh, actually, from Revelation 21, verse 1, it is where the, uh, the first heaven and first earth are. First heaven and first earth. This is referring to the universe created by God's word. Now, let's go to Genesis 1, 2, and then we'll go to Jude 1, 6. Genesis 1, 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So the earth was formless and empty. The darkness was over the surface of the deep. The spirit of God hovering over the water. So the earth was covered with water, but it's not just the earth, but where the earth is. And that is the universe, this great space that we call home right now, space, space or the expanse. And that was also covered with water. And verse 1, 6 talks about the separation of the, the waters to create the space where NASA the satellites, all of that is happening. And Jude 1, 6, go there. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, 
but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the... Remember the fallen angel? What's his name? Lucifer. There you go. Lucifer. But uh, in Revelation, uh, we see that along with Lucifer, a third of heaven fell. So he had a following. A third of heaven went with him. And they were contained in this great space called the universe. Universe is our word, um, but the Bible calls it the expanse. So in Genesis 1-6, again, it talks about the creation, also the firmament or expanse or space. Um, This is the grave that we just read about in Isaiah 14. The grave, the depths of the pit. So that pit is not the pit of the earth, but it's actually the entire universe, and that is wrapped and surrounded with water. We heard a little bit about that with Pastor Kang's sermon last week, right? So um, the, the universe is therefore finite. It's a finite space. I know that when Pastor Kang went to school, which was, you know, a couple years ago, she learned that the universe being infinite. Like, but like, I've never heard that it was infinite. I've always heard that it was finite. Certainly today they talk about multiverses, meaning um, the universe has a wall-to-wall boundary, but to answer the question, what's beyond it? A lot of scientists are going like, well, maybe there are other universes. Like it's like folding on itself, like rolling on itself side by side. It's like bubbles, like bubbles and going on and on and on. But that's because they don't have the answer for that. But um, what the Bible shows us is what um, Einstein had um, sort of theorized, hypothesized. But now, you know, astrophysics and cosmology, which is all based on models, right? And, and mathematical models, um, it says that the universe is finite. So there is wall-to-wall distance that it can, be measure, it can measure uh, and that it is a space, like a space that's contained. But um, it's because it's so big, no one has gone beyond it. No one has gone even close to, you know, even to the moon, yes, men have landed. And I think latest news is like Japan sent uh, some robotics to, um, you heard about this, in, 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 on, on moon, like Pathfinder, like it landed on the moon. But guess what? The battery is running out. I'm not kidding. That's what the news said. It landed on the moon and it's running low on batteries. Nobody told the robot to take a power bank. Can you imagine? They're like, oh, oops, did we charge it? Yeah. So I, I know we're laughing about it, but sorry, uh, you know, Japan's space program. I, it was just like they were like, yay, it landed on the moon. It's like, wait a minute, and the battery is running out. So it can land on the moon and it's such a, a reason for a celebration, but it's only the moon. Only the moon. Only the moon. It's not like right here. It's quite far. Um, to imagine that we go beyond the solar system and the Milky Way and all the way, it's not possible. Uh, but uh, all accept that the universe is finite. So number one answer to Haiti is that it's a finite space. It's the grave, the depths of the pit. Second answer to the question, where is Hades? What is Hades? It's a dark pit. It's the darkness. So we read it there in Genesis 1-2. It was dark, even though God created light. Let there be light, and light came. And that light in the form of later on the the planet sun um, and and the moon and night, but of course it's the sun uh, in the solar system that gives us light. Uh, But the material light was already there, but even before the light came, there was darkness. And as we just reread, in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day, because the fallen angels were spiritual beings, they can escape any boundary, any physical boundary. So God put everlasting chains, which are angels hovering the spirit of God hovering. For logo students, you're like, yeah, check, check, I've done that. I'm ready to graduate now. So it's easy for you. But 
you know, if you know it, be ready to explain that, be able to teach that, right? So this is very uh, useful, very, very important uh, for us to believe, know and believe and be able to share. Um, so that's dark pit. And in 2 Peter 2, 4, it says, if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in, the, in chains of darkness, which is also translated as gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. So in Jude 1, 6, it says, bound with everlasting chains. 2 Peter 2, 4, says, chains of darkness. What kind of chains? darkness yeah so the space is what dark it's dark it's very dark that's why earth is so beautiful because it's like blue with water right with the clouds and everything there's so beautiful uh, and and in the, the light obviously uh, given um, through the sun um, but it's the rest of the space is quite um, dark but spiritually it is dark because the enemy of god with his following angels occupy this space third answer to where is hades uh, or what is it is that it's finite in existence so not only finite in space but finite in time so in other words the universe has time limit like a ticking bomb it has limit we don't know when it's gonna go off but it will go off as in it will end it will perish it has a beginning and therefore it will have an end that's what we read in second peter 3 7 by the same word why does it say same word anyway how did god make all things how did all things come about by god the creator and he did it by his word that's right so in genesis 1 we read about that the creation of the world god said let there be and everything came to be from nothing to all things they came. Do you believe that? That's what the Bible requires, the faith in the creator, the faith in creation. So we do not believe in some spontaneous random process called evolution or even the Big Bang. So the Big Bang being a theory, um, it explains about the origin of the universe and perhaps even, even life, therefore. It says there's, it was a, from singularity, you know, some, um, so, some particle singularity came all this just spontaneously. There was an explosion of energy uh, and heat, heat uh, and light, and, and then all things came. And of course, for all that, that theory to work, you have to add in a lot of years to that, right? Because it can't come about overnight. So it must be like billions of years. So that's what they're saying, that uh, the universe is about um, 13.7 billion years. So they define that as the age of the universe. Um, that's the time elapsed since the Big Bang. So there was a Big Bang. And since then, it's been expanding. So according to that calculation, they talk about the diameter, diameter the distance of wall-to-wall distance of the universe um which they say is 93 billion light years first of all there's billion in there and there's something called light year so that's about um oh god in miles uh it is uh 540 sextillion miles what's sextillion 22 zeros 22 zeros so 54 with 22 zeros, miles, miles. So uh, it, it means that light from one end of the universe will take about 90 billion years to reach the other end. Oh, my Lord. Yes. So the speed of light is about 188,000 uh, mi- 188, miles per second. Speed of light. So there's nothing faster than the speed of light, right? So it travels so fast. But even with, at that speed, so light year is the, uh, the, the distance that light will travel in a year. And that's about 6 trillion miles. So you multiply that with 90 billion. So it is immense. Whether it's billion or not, it's just big, period. 
So that's what um, scientists are saying that that's how he began. But the uh, Bible says, by the same war, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment, the destruction of the ungodly. So Peter says that here, Jew says, and also in Revelation talks about the end, the judgment, and all of that. So where is science at today? So they've, they've talked about the Big Bang from decades, um, but there are different theories of the death of the universe. They talk about the death. So they do believe, almost all of them, that universe will end. It's not just the Christians, but also uh, scientists. They say, however, that it's going to happen millions or trillion years later on. But there are all kinds of these theories. So following the Big Bang, they have something called the Big Freeze. So because it's expanding, you heard Pastor Kang, very uh, um, smart uh, lady saying about the um, dark energy, right? Dark matter and dark energy. Dark energy uh, takes about 70-somewhat percent of the universe. Um, And it is pushing the uh, universe to expand and it's accelerating its speed Um, so according to that theory the universe will come to what's called the big freeze because it is expanding so much the distance between stars will expand 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 and you're not going to be able to observe what you observe today you won't see the stars anymore because stars are going farther away from where you are and then it will come into slow uh, and freeze death that's one theory. Uh, and then you have something called big rip, big, uh, big bounce, big slurp. But there is also called big crunch. So the big crunch is the extreme end. Uh, actually, they say big slurp is the extreme end. But these are a little bit complicated and abstract. But big crunch is the opposite of big bang. So it will crunch like a black hole with this intense gravity pulling everything together uh, and suck into this um, unknown space and the universe will end so that's where science is at but the bible for thousands of years yes it's about thousands of years old the bible has been saying that the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire do you believe that and what kind of fire would that be volcanic fire that is put out that burns but then that is put out no we would not be fearing it if it were material physical fire we're talking instead spiritual fire in other words hellfire Yes, I know you're like, but I brought a newcomer today. Why are you talking about hell? Because God wants one more soul to hear this, repent and be saved. Amen. So verses 10 to 12 says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. So notice in the Bible, heaven is um, described in plural form, uh, form, right? So heavens. So there is the spiritual heaven that's outside the universe where it is the place of God. That's where we want to have eternal life. We're promised to have eternal life. That's where the father's house is. That's the spiritual heaven. It's known as the third heaven. Then there are two heavens under that. The first being the atmosphere where the satellites are placed orbiting the earth. And then you have the second heaven. That's the universe. So how many again? Three. The first is the sky. The second is the universe. And the third is? Where are we going? From here? The first heaven to? The third heaven. We want to go there. Amen. But first, we need to know where we are. And that is that we are in the first and the second heaven together that is reserved for the fire. And in that day, even the smallest particles will burn and melt in the heat. So by the same word, the universe will be burned up. God will burn it up. And it is described as the lake of fire. And the lake of fire is the second death. Let's go to Revelation 20, 14 to 15. So today is like a Bible study here. Revelation 20, 14 to 15. Then... 
death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Can you imagine a lake that is of fire? Wow. I mean, sometimes you see like, was it Greenland or Japan, like earthquake with the fire and happening. It's just so frightening. Just the sight of it, the lava, like just coming out. And you can't even imagine being anywhere near that because it's so hot. But where it says the fiery lake, and, and Revelation 19.20 actually says it's a fiery lake of burning sulfur. In the old English, it would be brimstone fire, and brimstone is sulfur. And sulfur, when it, when it's boiling, when it's hot, it's at thousands of degrees. I've, uh, we've heard it anywhere between 1,000 to 6,000 Celsius. Celsius is higher than Fahrenheit, right, in terms of the conversion, right? So it is extremely, extremely hot, and it is described as the second death. Why is it saying second death? Because it's experiencing death after the physical death, and that death is forever. Experiencing the fright, the terror, the pain of death forever and ever in darkness, because at that point, all who are thrown into it will be resurrected. Can you even imagine do you want to imagine? I don't want to imagine. But you know what? Yeshua himself warned us of this fire. Let's go to Mark nine forty three. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell, where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life cripple than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Whose words? Whose words? Yeshua. Do you believe that his word is true? Do you believe Yeshua is the truth? Do you believe his word is truth? So is hell true? Oh, oh, I think I lost like three people. Is hell true? Even the world, there's no such thing as hell. I'm living a hellish life. There's no other place like, yeah, I mean, hellish life perhaps. And war zones, like maybe in Gaza right now. All those people who are trapped there and just suffering. That sounds like hell, right? But it's like hell. Not hell. In fact, we are in the world that will become hell. And when it does turn into hell, it will be unquenchable fire. And the one who warns us of this place is Yeshua himself. So should we pay attention? So how can churches and Christians say they love Yeshua and they believe Jesus Christ, blah, 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 but they don't acknowledge hell? And do you know that's the majority of the churches today? So just because you say, oh, so-and-so is a Christian, they go to church, they don't need to be evangelized. They need to be evangelized. Amen? Because you don't know what kind of teaching they're getting. And the majority of the churches today prescribe this sort of modern secular theology, which which gets rid of, eliminates hell. But Jesus is the one. He is the one who described hell in great details. Until then, yes, in the Old Testament, you read about Sheol, um, the grave, translated into English as the grave, but not in this detail and specific about hell. It is so serious that if anybody, any part of your body causes you to sin, you better cut it off. It's better to go with, go to heaven, not go to hell without any body part than be thrown into the hellfire, that unquenchable fire where their worms don't die, then, uh, then have all the body parts and burn there and forever because everyone will be salted with fire because again remember from last week all will rise do you believe that all will rise either to live or to be 
condemned. And to be condemned, that's the resurrection of the wicked. That's when the spirit will become body to be thrown into the lake of burning sulfur. To suffer, to be in agony and, and in torment and sadness and darkness and fear forever and ever. We don't want to go there. Amen? No way. That's the eternal fire that was actually prepared for the devil and his angels. Matthew 25, 41. Depart from me all your curse into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So why is it my problem? Why do I have to worry about it? If God is loving, why, do, why, did, why did he make hell and that I have to worry about it? In, originally, it was intended for the enemy of God, Satan, but all those who follow him go. Yes, starting with the following angels, but all those who stay following him, meaning they don't obey the word of God. They don't believe God. They don't believe the one who was sent by God, Yeshua, and they don't live to leave his burning universe and, and, and live for eternal life through resurrection. Then they too will go to hell because since Adam, all men died in sin. So when Adam sinned, That sin entered the spirit, and the spirit died. So again, sin is not like this like poison or like cancer that like starts to grow. It's actually, sin entering means that now we're cut off from God. There's no communication, signal lost. There's no way we can have fellowship, any way that we can go before God because of sin. And therefore, that spirit is dead. And it didn't end with Adam. Remember, we are also Adam spiritually. So all men now, as uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, as in Adam all die. So in Adam all died. And that spirit will be thrown into the second death called the unquenchable fire, hellfire. And that place is where? Donde estamos? Where are we? Aquí. Yes. El inferno. The place that will become hell. And the Old Testament history, as we read, we see the salvation, model of salvation. So how are we to leave? How are we to escape this um, hell, hellfire? We read in Genesis 19 about Lot, Abraham's nephew. And angels are sent there to warn Lot where he was living, which was Sodom. And, and near is Sodom and Gomorrah. The cities are now going to be burned down to ashes by the brimstone fire, by sulfur burning, because God saw that it was wicked, wicked, wicked. So God sent the angels to warn Lot. And not, Lot had two daughters, wife and two daughters, and two daughters had husbands. So it was a, a sizable family. When the angels told him about what's going to happen, which is next morning, this is going to happen. The Fire is, gonna, fire is going to come down, so you better flee. You better run now. The sons-in-law, however, said, are you kidding me? What are you talking about? <laughs> they laughed. So they didn't even bother packing up. But the wife and the daughters, they listened, and they went with Lot. And the warning was, Genesis 19, 17, as soon as they uh, brought them out, one of them said, the angel said, flee for your lives. Don't look back, and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. So that was a warning. Don't turn back. But press on, keep running until you arrive in a place. And then Lot said, well, it's just too far. I'm an old man. I can't go. So can I go to this nearest city called Zor, which is a small city? And the angel said, okay, fine. So when you get there, until you get there, the destruction won't come. As soon as Lot and the daughters arrive, yes, minus the wife, because minus wife, because wife, turn back. She, did, she went against the word, the warning said, do not turn back. But she turned back and turned into a pillar of salt. But even then... They had to keep on running without looking back. What happened to your mama? I don't know. I don't hear. But keep running, keep running, keep running. They probably did not confirm that until they got to the city of Zoar and they realized one, two, three. Where's mom? Gone. 
So that was the model of salvation in the story of Lot and family. And later on, the exodus of Israel was similar. On the night of the the last play called the death of the firstborn, also known as the Passover night, where every firstborn will be struck dead in Egypt. God said, if you want to live to the people of Israel, put, uh, bl- put the blood of a lamb over your doorframe. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. So the Hebrews, known as Hebrews and later the people of Israel, known as people of Israel, they hid in their home. And the way they were to prepare to leave was in Exodus 12, 11, it says, this is how you're to eat um, the roasted meat with your cloak tucked into your belt, cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Eat fast, but chew it all up. Every part, the book. The bone, the earth, the organ, everything you must eat and be ready to go. So the imagery of the cloak tucked in is like ready to work, ready to go. It's like ready to go. So you need to ready, be ready to go. At midnight, then they were, while they were hearing wailing, wailing in every household because every household there was death. Moses now has said, up you go, now we go. So it was like the, the, the blowing of the whistle and everybody left and they were ready to go in their homes with, with all this uh, instruction because it was the Lord's Passover and it was the model for, it is a model, foreshadow of model for all mankind, the souls of an, all mankind to be delivered from the hands of not Pharaoh, but the devil through Yeshua. So they were to remember this experience, this event for generations through the temple where the name of Jehovah is, and that was where they gave the Passover sacrifice. The temple was important. It was an important reminder for them. So when a man claiming that he was sent by God, standing before the temple, what did he say that made the Jewish people upset? Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. This is where the name of Jehovah, the all-knowing God who saved our ancestors from the plague, um, and who spared the lives of those who followed him uh, was. But here's just saying, destroy it. I have come not in the name of Jehovah, but now in the Father's name of Yeshua. And I will not by the blood of the Passover lamb, but by the blood of the Son of Man himself, the God incarnate, the word that became flesh. He will shed his blood at the cross. And by that blood, he will save the souls of men. Hallelujah. So the Passover night again for the people of Israel was in the name of Jehovah where Jehovah commanded them all this and the blood of the Passover protected them. So they were in their homes, although the blood was around the doorframe, but it's actually the blood shielding the whole household. So they hid in the, under the shadow, the wing of the blood of the Passover lamb. So what was spared? Their flesh. Spirit, still, spirit was still dead in sin, but the flesh was spared. So they lived, um, uh, survived the plague. They left Egypt, their slavery, and then went into desert. Uh, although they in the desert, all uh, but two um, died. That was their experience. But here's Yeshua saying, now is not the Passover of Jehovah, but the day of the Lord Yeshua has come. And those who are under in the blood of Yeshua will escape this spiritual death in the burning universe. Hallelujah. So that's why when men came to arrest him, to take him to his death, Yeshua did not perform any sign. He did not defend himself. He did not resist. Instead, he was led away like a lamb, like a sheep. Because he had come as the lamb of God to be the Passover lamb for the souls of all mankind. So when he died on the cross, what did he say? It is 
finished. It is completed. It is achieved. Because it was the moment that he was laying down his life according to the father's command. But it was the moment that he had to show that he trusted the father. That he believed in the father. Even though he is God himself. Who came from the father's bosom. When he came to the world. Remember the world. What is the world? Hades. This is the place that will become. Oh my goodness. What is this place we live in? It's the universe that will become. That's right. So he came to hell. So Psalm 45, uh, 15, it says, God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. In ESV, it says Sheol, or from the realm of the dead in the NIV. So it is the power of Sheol. He will rescue me. He will ransom my soul. He will receive me. So those words are the prophetic words regarding Yeshua. So when he was in the world and died on the cross, he was in the lowest place. Where Philippians 2, 6 on describes that the very nature of God humbled himself to the lowest point. He lowered himself to the lowest point. For us who are from earth, made on earth, this is where we're home. This is us. But God, who knows no sin, who was from the beginning. Okay, let's John 1, 1, 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Like the theme. He who was in the beginning. In the beginning. That beginning is eternity. When there is no time. No beginning or end. The word was with God. The word was God. The word was God. That word who is God. Was with God in the beginning. He created all things. That's what it said in three. Through him all things were made. Without him. Nothing was made that has been made. He, he is the one who created all things, created the heavens and the earth. He created Hohades, this universe, Hades, that will become the unquenchable fire, the lake of fire, the lake of burning sulfur. He is the one who made it. Are you with me there? And then what happened? He came here. The maker of heavens and the earth. The maker of this place that was, that's containing the rebellious enemies of God as like prison cell and later turn into execution place. Like this will be that fiery place. He came into it. The word, verse 14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father full of grace. Are you not moved by that? In the beginning was the word is so moving. Therefore, he who knows no sin for he is God, the all knowing God became flesh, came as man and enter the very space where we are. It's not just like, oh, this beautiful world we live and we call it home. No, this is a place where he will punish those whom he hates, hates because they are evil. They are sin. So the origin of sin being the devil who left his proper domain and rebelled against God, he became sin. And all those who follow him will perish because of, because of him, because of the place that they are in. And it is in this place he came. And when he came, he needed God the Father to rescue him as he laid down his life willingly. Though he is God who is powerful, almighty, he became powerless. And he gave his spirit up. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, he said, meaning save me from Hades. Save me from this burning universe. Save me from the world. And the father heard 
them, ransomed them, and received them. Hallelujah. Judging the enemy who left his position of authority, the the um, fallen angel, the devil, Satan, through his death, he also accomplished the redeeming work, which is that he died to pay the price of sin for all men in Adam. And he shed his precious blood, also sprinkled, sprinkle. Because sprinkling actually has this sort of connotation of like, Getting onto all. Sprinkle. Sprinkle. Sprinkle his redeeming blood on the souls of men. So that whosoever believes and receives. Can now prepare themselves to flee. The universe that will become hell. Hallelujah. The last. As the last Adam Yeshua died. He died in place of the first Adam's sin. And he fulfilled that word. If you eat of it you will surely die. He fulfilled that word by, by his death and he shed his blood, sprinkled his blood on soul so that whosoever will see the blood, the blood of the Passover lamb can now be shielded under the blood. Remember the Passover blood, shielding, hiding, sheltering in that blood so that they be ready to flee, flee the destruction, flee the destruction of the universe, the universe that will become the lake of burning sulfur. That's what he accomplished. And because the father received him in three days, just as he prophesied, he resurrected. Do you believe that Yeshua resurrected? He was raised back to life. Amen. And describing his resurrection, Acts 2.31 said his soul was not left abandoned in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, nor did his flesh see decay. Our flesh, when it dies, when, when the body dies, decays right away, right away, right away starts right up, like right up. But his body was not decayed. It did not see corruption because what is his body? What is his flesh made of? It is the word. It is the spirit. It is life. In him was life. And the light is the light of men. Hallelujah. So he cannot belong to Hades, the place of death. He does not belong here. He came from heaven. He came from, you came from heaven to earth to show the way. And this is from the earth to the, from the grave to the cross from the cross to the grave from the grave to the so that like the song he came from heaven to earth he went to the cross went to the grave but from the grave he rose and he lifted he was lifted up to heaven to eternity hallelujah he who is from above the grave could not keep him the grave cannot hold him the grave could not rot him for his body is the word it is the spirit and it was proven through his resurrection as he resurrected in the same body that he died in hallelujah because that work was the work of his death was to glorify the father by destroying the power of the enemy of God the devil and ransoming all men who were under the captivity and the slavery of the devil as we saw through the Passover lamb they were released we were released by his power the power of his blood hallelujah Yeshua was seated on the throne where he reigns as the king of kings but he is also described as the lamb of God in Revelation and, but also in Revelation 2.18 it says his eyes are like a blazing fire blazing fire but also it says he has how many eyes how many eyes? Seven eyes. <gasps> Seven eyes. So some people take Revelation literally and they start sketching. Yeshua. 
is a monster. <laughs> you are a monster. Seven eyes represents nothing can hide him. If we are living under the surveillance of 25,000 satellites, you can't hide. A long time ago, there was a movie, like, I forget what it was called, but satellites chasing after people, like, and this person is being chased down by everybody monitoring. I'm sure there's a lot of movies like that now. But just to fathom that degree of omniscient, really, omniscience from, from, from technologies, the humans have access to such information today. Imagine the God who created humans, created the universe. Is there anything that can hide from him? Anyone that can escape? To make us realize this and be conscious of this. We, those who have received the blood of Yeshua, the Holy Spirit was sent in the name of Yeshua. Say amen if you have received the redeeming blood of Yeshua. You ever see the Holy Spirit, amen? The Holy Spirit comes as his blazing eyes. His blazing eyes are inside the depth of my spirit, my soul. His eyes are inside. So it's not like somebody watching me. Like, where are you? Where are you? How did you know that you were? I was so, some people I'm like, pastor, you know, you do know everything past. I mean, yeah, I do know a lot of things. I have informants. Huh? <laughs> I have informants. I have good informants. But so, so once in a while, they're like, how did you know? I'm like, I kind of know. And they're like, but I don't know everything. I'm not God. Only God knows everything. But sometimes you feel like, somebody watching me? Is, is that my regional group leader who's watching me right now? It's the Holy Spirit. Remember him? He's inside of you. And he is the one who's speaking to you from within. From the depths of your spirit, from your heart, and saying, where are you? Where are you? Where are you now? Where are you now? That's what the Holy Spirit asks. Where are you now? What do you mean, where am I? I'm home. Where are you now? Before the eyes of God in his sight, where are you? That includes, what are you doing? What are you living for? What are you crazy about? What are you sad about? Do you realize where you're living? Where your current location is? All this learning that you do, many of you have heard this over and over again. Yet you still live like an, either like an animal or civilized man. Remember the first sermon. But we should be neither. We are spiritual man. We are spirit. Amen? I'm a soul. Say it with me. I'm a soul. Now ransomed by the blood of Yeshua. Amen. I belong to Yeshua. I belong to heaven. Right now I'm on earth waiting for my adoption. So the spirit of adoption has that meaning. We have been born again as children of God. But the spirit of adoption, the Bible also says that we have received. Which means because we're from earth and we've never been to heaven. Like children who are adopted. To their adopted parents and adopted home. They've never been there. So they're waiting for their adoption to be moved from earth to heaven. So that's why the Holy Spirit came to remind us that. Where are you? Where are you? What are you doing? In the past, as Job seventeen thirteen says, if the only home I hope for is the grave, if I spread on my bed in the realm of darkness, in the past, like a fool, I try to make a home in this place that's called the grave, Sheol, Hades. I had all my hopes to build a home, build a life, build a future. In this place that will burn. Because I was full and I was dead in sin. I had no idea. But by the grace of God. Who opened my ears and opened my heart. And opened my eyes. Through the blazing eyes of the Lord. And 
through the Holy Spirit. Now I know where I am. Where are we? We are in the place that will become. Only 20 people answered. Where are we? We are in the universe that will become. Now. By the Holy Spirit who's asking us that question. We are to prepare to flee in haste. In haste. Rush. Speed out of here. Not strolling. Not resting. Not looking back. Not going back. But to sprint. Sprint. So even if we say this, you know, you hear this all the time, six days of the gospel, and you heard us pastors preaching to the groups, the newcomers, and you yourself, and say, amen, amen, you preach that. But how easily we get distracted, deceived, and forget where we are. The only place where we can dwell forever is the Father's house outside the universe that's in the spiritual heaven, the third heaven. Do you believe that? In reality, we all have to leave. Do you know that too? Through the recent event in our church, you know, witnessing our beloved sister passing at her young age, it shocked us, right? I hope that shock doesn't wear off anytime soon. You do not go in the order you came. You don't. Another realization is like, God has the timeline in front of him. I have no clue what that timeline is for me. So don't be a fool thinking you have tomorrow. That's what the parable of the rich man is. He worked hard for his crops and he gathered all his crop at his harvest and stored in his barn and said, tomorrow I'm going to enjoy what I worked hard for. But he did not have tomorrow because that night God took him. So we have to leave. We don't know when we're leaving when we don't know how much time is left. But I have to consider this day as my only day left. And I have to remember... I am in the universe that will become hell. Therefore, how should I be living this life? So that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit lets me, inspires me, and lets me live by this faith that confesses I'm in the place, my current location, my location right now, right now, right here is the place that will become hell. So then I'm, I need to have fixed my eyes on eternal life through resurrection to make it to the Father's house in heaven. So I need to reveal my current location clearly when he asks me that. Where are you? Instead of your group, your group leader going like, where are you? We're waiting for you. We're about to start. I'm around the corner. Around the corner? You didn't even leave bed. Leave your bed. I, I can't make it there because I'm kind of busy. What are you doing? I, I, I have some, something to take care of. What? Like you went out with the co-workers and everybody's like, round of drink and so-and-so, whatever. And then happy hour. Uh, Oh, where are you? Oh, I was about to take a sip. Where are you? I'm busy video game. Oh, where are you? I'm watching the video for seventh hour. Where are you? I'm so busy. I need to make money. I got to get promoted. I got to be successful. My career, career. Where are you? I'm hanging out with my drunkards and my druggies. Getting high. Because it's legal now. Don't matter what the world says. It's what the spirit says. And when the Holy Spirit says, a man who is filled with the Holy Spirit is that, I am here right now in the place that will become hell. And I don't want to be here in that day. I need to get out of here. So I'm pressing on and running towards that goal. And that means to belong to the body of Christ where I can gather as a hiding place like the city of Zor. So the church must be to Christians like Zor to Lot and his family. 
Remember that small city where they ran up to and they were in hiding away from the destruction. Yes, the church is where the gates of Hades are, right? In Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail it. Hades, gates of Hades. So where's the church? Not in heaven. The church is here in the universe on earth, in the place that will become hell. Yeah. So the church was, according to God's master plan, Christ's master plan was built in his name and purchased by his blood in his name. And this is prepared for souls like you and me to take shelter, belong to, and hiding. We are all in hiding until we leave here. Do you realize that? Amen? So this is, even though we are part of the church's in gates, uh, in Hades, where the gates of Hades, so gates means gate. It refers to authorities, authority, the power. So what it's saying is, even though the church is in Hades, the power of Hades cannot touch it. Amen? Because it belongs to Christ. When he looks around the world, he's not looking at good children and smart children and wealthy person, successful person, a strong nation, a poor nation, and starving people. He's, when he sees the world, what he sees is what belongs to him. The most precious thing that he purchased with his own precious blood. And that is the church. So how ought the church be? The church ought to be testifying the truth of where we are. Amen? Therefore, churches, as we don't have time to read it, but in Revelation 2, there's a whole um, mention about, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. So that is the world. But it says, there are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they eat, they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. So the two names mentioned, Balaam and Nicholas. So Balaam you read about in the book of Numbers, right? So he is a prophet who's also described as a mad one. So 2 Peter 2.15 says the mad prophet who loved the wages of wickedness. So because he was, he was tempted, tempted by worldly things, that he is now known as a, someone who was cursed and who is mentioned as having madness. And Nicholas one of the seven deacons of the early church, after the Holy Spirit coming in the early church era, he becomes heretical. So he's in his heresy. Jesus said, Yeshua said, Revelation 2, 6, I hate, I hate the Nicolaitans. So these people who thought that they, who once belonged to the Lord or who once did according to God's way, but they steered off, they went astray, they made compromise to speak the words that are sweet to the ears. So the churches there, out there, are prescribing and teaching such teachings of Balaam and teachings of the Nicolaitans, which means secular theology, prosperity theology, liberation theology. What is liberation theology? It's being liberated from worldly situations of oppression, political, economic, social. So churches that are involved all about physical things, material salvation, material um, uh, um, and liberation, and they don't talk about hell because nobody wants to hear about hell. But everybody loves to hear about love, so they hear about love. Because God is love, he cannot send anybody to hell, so let's get rid of hell. Let's only talk about love. So if we are inspired by the Holy Spirit, when we hear such teaching and we hear that people belong to such churches, we need to stand up and say, that is not a true church. 
that we need to belong to a church that is of truth, that stands on the foundation of truth, that teaches us and speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Hallelujah! And what the Holy Spirit says through his blazing eyes is that remember where you are. Your location. Your location right now. Right now. Right now. Right here. Yes, we are in the protection of the church by the Holy Spirit here at COJ in the hour of a holy hour of worship. But in reality, it's still situated in the place that will become hell. So as we are here taking, taking refuge, taking shelter, we are hearing the word that gives us life, that reminds us and that encourages us so that we are fleeing, that we are ready to flee the burning universe in that day. But until then, we flee to the gathering of the church. Hallelujah. Starting the, the week on the Lord's day by coming to worship in spirit and truth as a whole church. But throughout the week, we come to gather, gather, gather. When somebody doesn't show up to gathering, uh uh-oh, there's a problem. There's a problem. They forgot where they are. So group leaders, you you said, instead of where are, you know, you didn't come to me. Do you know where you are? (laughs) Maybe just those three words. Your current location. Four words. Your current location now. Yeah, that's pretty scary. But we are starting this year here for EM especially. God is giving us these basics. But so important. What am I living for? What's my purpose? What is the goal to achieve that purpose? And why do I need to achieve that? Because of where I live. Because where I am. So it is to, it is realizing how foolish it was to have hope and dream and plan to make a home and future in this place that will burn. Instead, as Proverbs 15, 4, uh, 24 says, the path of life leads upward for the prudent that he may turn away from Sheol beneath. So if now we have gained the wisdom through the knowledge, the superior, the most excellent knowledge of knowing Christ, say amen. If you know Yeshua, you know the truth, amen. Then I need to look upward, heavenward, and press on. Not to dwell on earth. It doesn't mean, of course, that you quit your work and stop living and go in the mountains. We don't do that. Certainly, we need to go to work and still need to do whatever that we are supposed to do for daily bread and our responsibilities. But always knowing the priority. What am I living for? It's just like those volunteer EMTs or firefighters. They have their regular jobs. But there is fire, siren going. They drop what they're doing. Get in the car. Put the flashing light on. And they go to the place of danger. Because that's what they're committed to do. So it is to go toward and preparing to flee this world that will become hell. So time is running out. Do you remember that? Again, what's so moving about, um, you know, our our sister Anna Park who passed. And we had very lovely, um, uh, if you know, uh, we call it a farewell ceremony on the past Monday. She was in that dedication play. About someone who was given basically death sentence. The doctor saying you only have maybe a month to live. And put, put, put things in order. Put your life into order. Put your things in order and be ready to leave. Having seen like hell in her dream. She was so frightened. And now she believes. And now it's too late. Like now she realized but she doesn't have. How, she doesn't realize how much time's left. So then she dedicates to doing the most meaningful work. The greatest work that I could be doing with the life that's remaining in my body. Is to share this news. Listen. Time is running out. This place has a time limit. This body has time limit. 
And we are not to make this place a home. But we have a home where there is no pain, no suffering, no sickness, no sadness, no injustice, no sin, no more death. And that's called the Father's house in the spiritual heaven. That's where we need to make it as our our purpose and our goal to go from earth to heaven, from here to eternity. Amen. So it is to say, not planning for the future that you don't have guarantee for. That you live this day as your best and your final. Oh, it's not like, oh, this is my best and final. I need to go and make money and make my five family a happy family. And then what? And then what? We all have to leave everything. And if you have heard the news, there's been a lot of airline disaster news lately. Sorry, Rafi, but... um, (laughs) Japan airline, I think New Year's Day, right? Um, there was an explosion. It crashed into another, like a, 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 a um, another air, uh, aircraft that was en route to bring aids to the the earthquake um, victims, a relief for them. And it was in the runway, and they crashed. So there was about three hundred sixty-seven passengers on that plane. They landed in Japan, and then they saw a little bit like a fire. And, they, and the passengers say, like they were kind of like, "Hi, hey, look at the fire," but then they realized. One of the engine of that fire, that aircraft was burning and it was ready, about to explode. So they had landed and what they kept saying was this was miracle. I'm certainly, apparently they do like 90 second evacuation. I don't know if that's, is that right, Rafi? Yeah. He's like, yeah. I'm like, 90 seconds? Like how much time do you have? But what happened here is the 367 passengers and 12 crew members evacuated the fire from the back, I think, and it was about to explode. And they were able to escape in 18 minutes to watch the airplane explode, basically. And it just, the, the, when you see the wreckage, it's like, how did anybody get out of that alive? And certainly there were people who died in the other plane, but this plane, they sort of, so they applauded at the crew. They didn't have the PA system working. They had to shout. And some people said, like, I never seen Japanese people yell until then because they were yelling. They didn't know what was happening. And then the crew was saying, um, Leave, uh, leave your luggage when you evacuate. Don't take your luggage. So people said, like, they had, uh, some people had handbags and backpack in front of them, so they were able to take that. But all the rolling luggages they had over the overhead bin, because if, as they were trying to take out, there's people behind them they need to get through. But not only that, the, the what do you call the, sh- the, the little thing, slide thing that comes out of the, you know, during the time everybody falls asleep, it's like, pay attention. If they, if they, shoot the aircraft trash, and you know, you know, that's what we do, but it, this is the most critical moment. And when they come out, high heels and l- rolling luggages that can puncture uh, the chute, so they are not to bring that. And they will definitely slow them. Time was, not, it, time was against them, actually. So they had to hurry out uh, of that plane. And that whole site, they say, literally was escaping hell. And I was reading them like, but that's not hell. Hell is this entire universe where we are. And when we need to leave, we can't take our rolling luggages. We can't take all the stuff. I got to simplify my life. Like, I got to rethink my life. What is the plan? What is the goal? What am I living for? You don't have time to go on for 10, 20, 30 years of plan. We don't have that. We don't even have tomorrow. So the idea is today, I need to live without regret and without hesitation, sprinting toward a new heaven and new earth. There's nothing more pressing than to run out of this burning universe, even if your family is crying out for you. Where's the love? The love is to tell them we need to get out of here. Let's run with me. Let's sprint together. But if they're not sprinting with me, even I have to leave behind my beloved spouse and my parents and my children, my, my field, everything, I still have to go. So there's nothing more selfish than spiritual life to run out of the burning universe. 
Not my words. That's why I share with you the model of escape, uh, of salvation in the Bible. Which is to run out. But because I am fearful of the word of God, I fear hell. How many of you fear God? How many of you fear the word of God? How many of you fear hellfire? Yeah, that's the difference of faith. The reason why your faith is not growing because you don't fear God, you don't fear the word of God, you don't fear hell. The reason why your faith life sucks is because you don't fear hell. That's why you sit there looking like this every day, every week. No change at all. Even I feel that. But should I give up on you? Should God give up on you? No. The Lord said, he does not, he, to him a thousand years like a day, a day is like a thousand years. He does not want even one soul perishing in the fire of hell. So I repented, beating my chest. I don't love souls enough. How can I watch a soul go to hell? I'm sorry that I watch these souls go to hell. I'm so sorry. If I know that I'm a soul, I should see others as souls. And I should not give up on them. Or you don't come and you cause me trouble, get out of here. We can't do that. We try, we try, we try, we pray and pray and pray. Instead of us saying, I don't have any fruit, I don't have anybody in my group. Have you tried hard enough? Have you really seen them as a soul that must not be thrown into hell just like your soul? There's no time. There's no time to fight, no time to bicker. There's no time to hate. There's no time to hold grudges. We need to forgive, we need to love, and we need to care, and we need to run together to escape this burning universe. In your state of anger, in your state of unforgiveness, and grudges against your brothers and sisters, you will not make it out of here. I swear by that. I swear by that. You can't say, Lord, Lord, I love you, and hate your brother, and not forgive your sister. This whole war going on. Because you did this to me. Because you said this to me. I don't forgive you. I don't talk to you. How do you expect to get out of hell? Get out of this by hell in that kind of state? Heaven it is not that kind of place. You cannot go to heaven with such heart of hatred and unforgiving heart. That's why I beat my chest, mourn and cry and grieve. Because I'm unforgiving. I'm judging and I'm not loving. I'm hating. Think about that. Do you treat God the way you should? That he knows everything. He sees everything. How can you not beat your chest and mourn when you know that? How can you say, Lord, Lord, but I've, I've done this and this and that. I've been in COJ for how many years? Yeah, so what? You are just being religious. To be not religious, to be living in my faith, to keep my faith alive, I must be pressing on. Fear the word of God. Fear hell. His warning about hell. And when I have the day today, I must do that all the best I can with the souls that have been given to me. If I'm preaching to strangers out there because I see them as souls and I don't want them to go to hell, I must see the souls around me as brothers and sisters given to me to make sure they don't get lost, that I don't lose even one of them. Amen. It's time for us to love and encourage and forgive and accept and encourage because there's no time for anything else. We need to sprint. We need to flee this place that is going to become hell. Amen. So we must preach with the heart of saving souls and care for the souls who have been given to us until the end. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Close your eyes and think about the word. There's a lot. You've heard this many times perhaps for some of you.
What is the message? What is the Holy Spirit telling you right now? You, the soul. It's for you to wake up. Change. I need your help. I need your power. I need greater faith. I don't want to be stuck here burning with the universe. I will become hell in that day. Help me. Save me. Lift up your hands and pray.